0: Chuck Yates is a self-proclaimed towering giant of the energy business. After graduating magnum cum laude, 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 laude-daude, we like to party from Rice University with a BA in political science and plenty of BS. He later ran product design for Apple where Steve Jobs proclaimed him so valuable that if Chuck left, I'd be reduced to wearing nothing but black turtlenecks for all time. Chuck joined the Houston office of Stevens Incorporated, the Little Rock, Arkansas Investment Bank, where he strove to do well, but not well enough to get promoted to Little Rock. After figuring out he was a really crappy investment banker, he moved on to the principal side of business, where he fared not much better. But as everyone who has spent more than 30 seconds with Chuck knows, he did the legendary silver heel deal. Interestingly enough, Chuck once won a bet from Superman where the loser had to wear his underwear on the outside of his clothes. Despite all of these achievements, in the post-COVID spring of 2020, Chuck was shit-canned from his gig as a managing partner. It did make Wall Street Journal So at least he had that going for him. Hey, everybody,
1: it's your host, Chuck Yates. Welcome to the second episode of Chuck Yates Needs a Job. And they said it wouldn't last. Patrick, did you know this, (laughs) the over under on uh, us doing podcasts? Because the 90% of podcasts don't make it to 10 episodes. And the over-under on me was
2: 0. 0.7. All oh, right, thought, so we're
1: there. Yeah, they thought Fish and, so and I were going to kill two. each other. Okay, well, so you we got, got two. two. All
2: right, good. Well, do you get a rabbi next week? That way exactly. you have your best friend, an Episcopal priest, and then a rabbi. I an would.
1: Episcopal, a best friend, and a rabbi walk into a bar. I've got yeah. a
2: couple of imams, too. You could just work your way down. A there Buddhist monk. You just, you I know, like that. The first five. <laughs> the first your birth, five. Your, your best friend and then five others. So five I can go to hell people. in three different religions. Yeah, I, you can go to hell in five different ways. That will be perfect. just work your way down. That's what I was looking forward to. Maybe you bring in atheists and go to atheist hell too. I don't, know, I don't know what that would be. Maybe atheist hell is like you what? listen to Billy Graham. Right,
1: right, right. <laughs> Athe- <laughs> Athe- <laughs> atheist, atheist
2: hell would be Waco. Yeah, exactly. Waco or Tulsa. <laughs> Tulsa. I saw a nine hundred <laughs> foot Jesus in Tulsa. So anyway, so we're right. so under let me, in your podcast. Okay,
1: set so, listeners. It's Chuck Yates, second episode. Glad to be back. I am so fortunate and dare I say blessed. To uh, have with me today, Patrick Miller. Patrick Miller is my spiritual advisor. He's my, well, here's the issue. I'm Methodist, but I go to an Episcopalian church, and I've yet to figure out what y'all call y'all selves. You're a rector? Because we well, call preacher. We had well, preacher or I'm minister. I'm surprised
2: that we let you in because of the grammar that you just used. As an What y'all call y'all self. Yeah. So you made it through however many years of investment banking success. With that kind of grammar, what y'all call y'all self? Well, we're Episcopalian.
1: Well, I started off in a Little Rock, Arkansas investment bank. They <laughs> did? Well, so, I mean, yeah. still, but
0: they did fine. We we're, <laughs> all, we're,
1: were all Protestants What'd there. What y'all call y'all self over there at that
2: Episcopal church?
1: What's the joke that you're uh, an Episcopalian, it's just a Lutheran that knows which
2: fork to use? Is yes. That, is that the... No, it's a Methodist actually come out of Episcopalians.
1: Do we really? Yeah, you
2: do you do.
1: So Charles Wesley was a
2: Charles and John Wesley Anglican clergy. That's right. I did not know that. That's right. I mean, we still sing we still sing all of your hymns.
1: Yeah, no no, now the Wesley's nailed music. Yeah, we get we do we do have to give them that. They they nailed music. I did not know. I've I guess I have to stop making the joke then about how your church was founded by somebody that beheaded their wives.
2: Well, it, it sort of was founded um, by somebody who beheaded his wives. That's correct. But he also kind of wanted control. So you'd say that, and then, but founded would be wrong because it's Jesus that founded the church. Okay, it fair would enough. Be, it would be Henry, <laughs> the, Henry the Eighth that kind of took control of his little island and said, I'll take this, thank you very much, and moved on down the road. And then we came over to the United States, and we have the uh, colonies, so we're the Church of England in in the colonies, and then we had a little war, I don't know if you've heard about that part, but 1776 kind of started a little problem, and then um, what do you do with it? Well, the Episcopal Church formed itself at probably right around the same time that the United States government formed itself, and then you guys were coming over from England as part of John Wesley, kind of came over. And then the best part about Methodists is you all were brave enough to leave the colonies. The Episcopalians were not. And so you guys come over to Texas and are itinerant, and you change pastors every two years. And there you go. Ah. You're, yeah. You're much. You're much more. Um, uh, you were much more evangelical than we were at that time. And we're just, you know, that's. But but yes, you are my. I guess you're my, my child. So all of these years of me attending your church
1: saying, I am a Methodist, I'm not an Episcopalian, you could have thrown that at me the whole time and you bit your tongue.
2: I did because <laughs> because I was really wanting to help you with your grammar before I helped you with your religion. That wanted to, the y'all's y'all part. I wanted to help you get rid of, get out of that before I got you straight on what the Methodists versus the Episcopal Church
1: is and was and are. Anyway, there you go. I'm gosh, I'm only funny in my own mind. Well, okay. aren't we all? No, and yes. I, I am too.
2: Exactly. So where do we meet? I meet you in uh, 2009 in two events simultaneously. I meet you through um the Madrugadores Breakfast Club at the right. Houston Country Club. I'm kinda I guess I'm that's so where glad you pronounced that. I can pronounce M- Madrugadores. Well y'all's y'all's y'all y'all's name is y'all's is Madrugadores, And uh, I can pronounce the Breakfast Club's name. So we meet there and then you you um, our kids are about the same age, but there's another common denominator. I think it's like either through Todd Litton or Doug Fordyce. But there's a common denominator. Oh, and it might have been uh, that guy that was at Rice who um, was duct taped outside the door. Oh, George Webb. George Webb. It might have been through George Webb. But anyway, through that, you, you wandered over to, to uh, St. Mark's. You know what was interesting? So I was
1: blessed growing up in that my dad's best friend was a Methodist minister, Joe Fred Crabb. He was a lawyer, he was a state representative, and so I attended his church. We, we went, we grew up, I grew up out in Richmond. I went to First United Methodist Church, but when I moved into Houston with Rice, and then subsequent career, I used to drive out to attics and go to the small little Methodist church that Reverend Crabb was head of for a long time. And um, I was so blessed in that he's a human being, And so, meaning he makes mistakes, he does things he probably shouldn't have and all, but the theological message coming from him is, hey, we're all trying our best to to do this. Um, And I figured out pretty early on in religion that standing all high on a mountain, wearing flowing robes, preaching the gospel as a perfectionist, probably wouldn't work very well for me. I'm not, sure I'm, buy- I'm not sure I'm buying. I'm not sure I'm buying. I'm not sure I'm buying that <laughs> well, story.
2: It, it, it was the Flowing roads part. Uh, the division of you in the Flowing Robes. Well, although I yeah. think you're into costumes every now and again, yeah. so that might be a thing that you There are no pictures do. of those. But the I don't Flowing think. Robes, yeah. I know. Thank God for Hollywood.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, so we met in the Breakfast Club and my vivid memory of when I said, "Okay, this is my guy," was probably 2009, 2010, the Thing at the at the um, uh, House of Blues, the Madrugadors yeah, Breakfast that's, Club. That's right. We, we had, had a cocktail party, yeah. party or the couples that's party right. or whatever. That's right. And I remember I cornered you and. Uh, this this probably gets me sent to hell, but I'm just not a big fan of the Trinity. I mean, you know, at the at the at the at the end of the day, no, I mean,
0: no, as a well, no, things not to be a big fan of well, I, hell isn't. You know,
2: I, I'm cool with the hell part, yeah, but, and I'm good with the, like the wings, but this Trinity thing, no,
1: well, way. no, no, I I think it is a much more powerful story if Jesus actually was just purely God's son. And was sent down here and is not part of God. Um, huh? Now, okay.
2: well, 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 anyway, so yeah, you, yeah. you corner so me I in the House of Blues. I think a, near a room where Jim Belushi had had some sort of sex. Probably, and you yes. said that. I think yeah. that's what you said. So, I, I think so, so the setup for your audience is: you have taken an Episcopal priest to near a room where Jim Belushi had sex, and you're about to ask him this, and deep, I'm disputing deep, the deep, trinity. deep abiding theological. Such a conversation that hasn't been solved for 17 to 2,000 years. But anyway, go ahead. Keep okay. Going. But to
1: your credit, uh, we, we actually discussed it, and you said, why don't we do this? You can just come to church and sit in the back row, and I'll promise not to—
2: tr- preach too much about the Trinity over the next year or two. Okay. Is that how I did it? That's how that's, you did oh, it. That's oh, how it was. Evangelism through promise. Yeah, exactly. I, I, through the promise of not. Well, I, I think that's interesting because the Trinity only comes up once a year. It right. comes up because uh, in the Episcopal Church, we follow a, a set path. Right. And that's always going to be the Sunday after the Pentecost Sunday, which is 50 days after Easter. So 50 days after Easter is a Sunday called Pentecost. And then the week after that, so you can mark your calendar. Whenever Easter is, go fifty days. Know that that Sunday is going to be Pentecost. The following week, Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday, and just don't come. Well, <laughs> I or sit in the back 50, row. Fifty-one weeks. 50 got Fifty-one weeks. weeks. There so we go. Just don't come. That's on pretty that
1: good day. attendance. Fifty-one out of fifty-two. I, well,
2: that'd be actually the average person only attends church once a month. Really? So yeah, yeah, regular people. Oh wow! Yeah, that's we, we worry about you if you come twice. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm teasing, but I think that yes, there is an yes. Uh, somebody told me that that in the in an Episcopal church, yeah, um, usually you come once a month, and uh, so I knew that's when you were my
1: guy. Okay, and good. the other thing you said, and we may need to edit this one out because the bishop might listen, but the second thing you did that same night is someone was just ragging on the Mormons, you know, just going through the underwear, the golden underwear and, you know, all of that sort of story. And Todd, I think it was actually Todd Litton who was trying to diffuse it because it was almost getting awkward, you know, <laughs> talking bad about the Mormon. And I think it was Todd Litton who kind of turned and just said, you know what, that being said, I've never met a Mormon I don't like. And uh, And then the person just goes back to talking bad about the Mormons. And you looked at the person and you just said... Hey there, buddy. Be really careful if they start shining that bright flashlight on our story.
2: <laughs> on the, yes, yeah, on the, on the on the Christian story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. I, yeah so I, it's so true that because uh, I think I remember that conversation where they were kind of going off on everybody gets their planet and they're talking about you know kind of going after Mormons in particular and I'm like you know hey, three days. Three days dead and comes back. I mean, Noah's Ark. I mean, there's some pretty fascinating things. Ezekiel's wheel. I mean, if you start, you dig into Revelation itself, you kind of go into those things, you will find uh, quite a bit of some, hmm. Yeah. It's, hmm, isn't that? And I, I had a professor in seminary who said, um, <clears throat> what did he say? It was always great. Well, it's a mystery. walk off well this is
1: to give you the idea of who joe crab was um charlie my son who i talked about on the last podcast charlie just and language have always clicked eight months old he's talking um a year old simple sentences 18 months flowing paragraphs he is about 18 months but he's he's probably not older than two years he says, "Daddy, we should start reading the Bible at night." And I said, "Great." And anyway, I, you know, I'm not as well versed on the Bible as I should be. To be fair, so I decided it would be really neat to uh, read um, Samson, you know, the story of Samson. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Fair enough. Well, I start reading the 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 story of Samson. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is one of the most horrific stories (laughs) I've ever read.
0: Skip over to Jephthah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And and I'm reading this story just on how incredibly horrible this is. And I'm going, I'm reading the King James Version. So there's a good chance he doesn't understand this. I'm struggling with it. So I closed the the book, and I said, well, what would you think? And he said, Dad, why did God slaughter all the Philistines, including the babies? (laughs) And, And... I was just like, you know what? Let's ask Reverend Crab this Sunday at church, and he goes, "Okay," because I'm really worried about that. And I go, "I am too, buddy." Let's. So, after church, two-year-old Charlie, I mean, barely kind of standing, uh, we're talking to Reverend Crab, and I go, "Reverend Crab, Charlie has a question for you." Reverend Crab gets down on one knee, and says, "Yes, Charlie, what's your question?" He says, "Why did God you know slaughter all the Philistines, including the baby?" And Reverend Crabb said, you know, there are important philosophical and religious and spiritual things that will happen in your life, and the church will always be here for you because we love you, but just remember your dad is the first stop on that on that journey, gets up and <laughs> walks kicked
0: off.
2: <laughs> kicked it to you. He just kicked, kicked it. Kicked it right back to you. Kicked it right back to me. I'm like, Did he send you a letter later and say, hey, maybe you shouldn't read these these kinds of stories to the children? Stick over. Can <laughs> yeah. you, you move over? to Well, I, I decided that maybe one of the jobs that you could have is help me create a pop-up book for children based on Bible stories that you can't tell them, like Samson and then Jephthah. I mean, there's just a ton of them. There's, there's a couple of Psalms you're like, mm, I don't think I'd read that to kids, but people we do. Yeah. Well,
1: you know, it was really interesting because we used to have this book, My Book of Jesus, that uh, we would read to Charlie. And I'm on the road one night, and I call Kim, you know, call it 1030 at night. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? And she goes, "Yeah, could have freaking told me. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she goes, well, Charlie wanted to read My Book of Jesus You didn't tell me you don't read the part about the
2: crucifixion. And I'm like, he's two years old. I'm not going to read about the. I wonder. I want to see this book. Well, I just love it because. How do you how do you tell a child about. Okay, so what they did. Is they took him and they strapped him to some wood and they nailed him, nailed nails through his, his wrists and hung him up there until he died and they put him in a cave. Now how do you? It's like, well, oh man, good night, have sweet dreams. Well, well, you, <laughs> I mean, it's it,
1: it's it's gentler than that, but yes, they talk about and then they killed Jesus, but he arose from the dead. Well, I just always skipped those two pages and just <laughs> rolled right through. And Kim's like, you could have told me you did this. And I hear in the back, "Mommy, why did they kill Jesus?" <laughs> oh my God, that oh, was a mess.
2: <laughs> Oops. Well, my wife, um, my wife, well, my children for the longest time uh, thought that uh, Finding Nemo began with the um, with the uh, uh, g- going to school scene, because all Walt Disney films, and you sometimes start or have the moment where the mother is is killed. And yes. So in Finding Nemo, the mother is killed by the barracuda at the very beginning, and so she um, she would fast. So Henry, you know, turned ten, and he's like, "Mom, there's this whole first part to Finding Nemo that I never knew." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, your mom hid that part." Yeah, anyway. so that's anyway. that's really funny. But I think you're right. I think talking to children, I think I think would well, you bring up a good point. I think you, I think the point is that the, all religion is uh, difficult. Uh, sometimes has difficult odd things to point to, and. Explaining that to children, explaining the Trinity to you, explaining <laughs> things to—I mean, it's just there's just stuff to be explained, which keeps me employed. There and you know, go. If I told you all the answers, then you would—you know—I wouldn't have anything else to do. You're well, that's... stand around and garden. <laughs> go take up barbering. There you go. Very, very fair.
1: The um, so yeah, I started going to the church, and then you know I talked about this a little bit last week with uh, with uh, Fish when we were on. You know, unfortunately, went through kind of the separation and the divorce. And I know I haven't like done this enough, but you know, thank you. You were the you were oh. the babysitter. I mean, you were the one getting me. <laughs>
2: this podcast suddenly got real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're talking about the well, hard parts. Yeah, well, no, that was a hard were, part.
1: Dude. You were you yeah. were getting the the two o'clock in the morning phone calls. Mm-hmm. You were getting the um, you were getting the uh, not all together there. Maybe the uh, one bottle too many of whatever. Mm. And uh, I did not, I did not uh, probably say thank you enough, uh, kind of all through uh, all through that. But uh, I need to say that, and I'd actually like to hear about that part of your job, in oh. terms of. Sure. Because you are really, really good at it. And the other thing that I know you know, but your wife's really good at it, too. Yeah, I mean, I was blessed to have a tag team
2: beyond. Yeah, she's, that's the secret. Don't tell anybody on the podcast. But that is the secret that probably the reason I can be effective is because I'm married well. And I have an Allison, a partner who really, you know, is a partner on that. Right. If I could give everybody a wife like her, I would, because she's just phenomenal. Um, you said something I wanted to come back to. You said earlier about you're being a perfectionist, that a perfectionist like you, uh, there's some a, a bit you earlier in the conversation that you would have a perfectionist like you. Da, 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 da. So perfection is a word that I want to kind of how I'm what about my job, how I do it. Um is that I have taken issue with that word in its biblical in its biblical, um, in its biblical uh, connotation, in the sense that there's a, a bit in the Gospel of Matthew where it says, "Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father and as your Father in heaven is perfect." Okay? And so that's always bugged me. I grew up in Waco. I grew up in a in a in a very fundamentalist town, and so that word, perfect. Um, after many years of looking around and, and fa- I found it. It's, in Greek, it's a word called teleois. And you would know it from your undergraduate days from teleology, the idea of philosophy of things that are coming to their uh, ultimate end. A rose's teleology that is to be planted as a seed and to grow into a rose. That, and so it makes it, it it's, so the better word is complete. So um, in working with people, I go ahead and give them lots of margin for not being finished. Uh-huh. And that the, the truth of what we are about and what we're doing in this exercise is growing. So when you meet a you uh, or you meet somebody who's going through some sort of awful experience or suffering in any way, um, you give them room to grow. And that is... Growth is, you know, you're not done growing till you die, and so the teleological aspects of you, Chuck, um, aren't finished. So when you meet you and you meet yourself in a, in a pain where the marriage might be finished, um, but you're not, and so you work with people from that position of 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 um, of growth. I'm gonna help you grow. So when I was with you. The, you know, you find a, find a couple of places where we're, how can Chuck and Will Chuck grow from this? Uh, and then also how will, how will and how can Kim grow from this? How can the kids grow from it, even though it's, it's an awful uh, disruptive experience um, in everybody's lives because you're taking something that was and you're kind of breaking it apart? But all things break apart. So all things disintegrate, but how can you then take the things that were disintegrated and reintegrate them into something new? And that's kind of how I do what I do. No, it's, it's,
1: it's really interesting because I think, I mean, just the, the, the elevator pitch, and I hate to even say that about therapy, spirituality and all that. But I do think the more and more you focus on it, the more and more, because a lot of what you did was give me tools. Yeah. Right, so that so that I could go and, and work on myself. But boy, it really is almost as simple as, you know, what makes up your sense of self-worth. And, you know, if that is something that is temporal and you lose it, guess what? You're going to be a shit show.
2: Yes, you I, know? Well, and, 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 and shit show, that's a theological term, <laughs> um, arrives a lot in... It, it it so it's interesting to me, um, because so often times um, religion gets a bad name because we're the we're the damning aspects of life. Like we're called to, you know, we're supposed to be damning you or whatever it is. I'm right. supposed to like keep you from going to hell or whatever. So um, that's not I don't see it as my job. My job is to um, sort of dig around and see uh, examples in scripture, like the Samson story. uh, The Book of Judges, in total, is 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 kind of a is kind of a a, a manual on what not to how not to lead. Um, And and so the so the Israelites are trying; they're looking around for they. What happens after Judges is they they name Saul king, and so they so Judges is they're kind of bumping around trying to figure out how to manage themselves. And I feel like that is a, all of us uh, in um, an adolescent position, in our early stages of life, and then when we kind of trip and fall, we kind of have to reimagine how we're going to manage ourselves. And so what I was doing with you, and I'm not a therapist. Right, but you the, certainly you you best. may have stayed at a Holiday Inn last night. You're pretty damn good, <laughs> but,
0: but I'm not. You a do therapist. a good Brene
1: Brown. You really <laughs> do. I'm not a
2: therapist, but I but I I, I think that um, what I d- what I can do for people is remind them uh, from a Christian perspective that what we are proclaiming is that you actually what all that bloody Jesus business it was about was providing forgiveness. And giving you a sense of forgiveness, and you in turn give other people the sense of forgiveness. So if we were able to kind of create a web of forgiving, um, then you you would we would find particularly in forgiving ourselves because that's the man that you know people. I I, I still have thoughts about. I I am not I am not twenty four years old, and the twenty four year old Patrick Miller that was in my head earlier today, I was just wincing. Right. I was just wincing. I was I was remembering um, an episode and at a party uh, where there was a lot of alcohol and it just, I just winced. And I thought, that's, but that's not me now. I mean, right. that's not who I am now. Um, I've grown. And so then I reached a place of growth and then I kind of share it with you. That's kind of the, the job. Because
1: the steps you took me on were basically, you know, figure out what, in the sense of self worth, and it was clearly Kim's approval. I mean, that was that was my whole life. You know, Kim approves of me. Um, I mean, I'm competitive and love to see my name in print and love to hear myself speak. So, I have you know, my own but, podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Vanity, um, <laughs> no, no question. But but a lot of it was kind of as an eye over there. And and you know, when we go through this the separation, and that's you know not there anymore what was really interesting is you kind of did the steps this way the the first step that it seemed like was hey that, that way you're feeling is shame and the only way we can possibly deal with it is talk about it shame hates words i don't know if that was your exact quote on it but it was close enough i may be paraphrasing but you know shame hates words so we did a lot of talking about it you got me with a group of guys we did a lot of that a lot of that talking you listened I mean some of the best things you did is is just how horrific it feels to finally tell somebody something you're embarrassed about feeling shame about and and you would kind of counter with stories well hey i did this i'm like dude you're a priest that's like bad oh i know you oh, know yeah. and yeah. So. and and it was the me too you know it was the the yeah. power of that so we worked through that but then i think the biggest thing okay so we identify the problem we get some tools to deal with the problem but the what you were just saying the transition from cuz I've always gone to church I mean literally was baptized at 6 months and and all that but i think in hindsight i was going to church cuz i was scared i was going to go to hell if i didn't well, yeah <laughs> and 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 the transition you took me on was no this this fellow god pretty cool dude his son jesus pretty cool dude they actually want a relationship with you you know there is forgiveness as I was going through that and, and and starting to to turn towards this is my sense of self-worth, that, you know, my Savior would come down and give his life for me and I should feel good about myself for that, um, it was really, really interesting because looking back I was like, oh my gosh, all those years I was going to church because I thought I was going to go to hell. And what, I mean, what a just a horrible way to have a
2: religion, you know? I mean, I know. we've, we've been banking on it for quite a while. Right? Uh, it, there's a, there's a lot, there's a couple of, uh, maybe some couple of funds that you used to manage that yeah. are all based on uh, pensioners who had put their money in there for, for some hell, hell relief. I, I think that I, I that's, a, it's frustrating to me that, um, but that the, the, the concern about an existential moment of. Of completion, like when you die, where do you go? It's a it, that's kind of one of our first questions. Like I think when the when a baby, um, and and you, this happens, you know, sometime between seven and fourteen, where you get reflective and you can tell that oh, I'm an entity in the world, and I won't be in the world. You can you know, your grandmother died, but you have that moment, that fear of of hell, which is problematic. I feel for a person's growth right I don't think I'm glad that got you into the church I guess you know right. I want to thank thank the whoever put the fear of God in you that you were going to die and go to hell. so you got to go to church every week in fairness it was you, probably Sally Yates but, but had she you was stayed, doing that to all four right, of us
0: boys exactly. so, yeah
2: but had you stayed there Right. And I think there's a I think that that moment where you grew into a a man who asked a different question. So now you're asking a different set of questions. Right. And and why do I come to this? Is it because I'm afraid or is it because I want to 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 mature into something else? I, I think that the the word that I like right now, and it must be my age, is a maturity is maturity, not immaturity, but maturing. And that maturing piece moves you from a adolescent, young child vision of Jesus, chocolate eggs, um, we all get to, you know, Christmasy kind of stuff, to uh, who am I in this creation that I find myself in, and who am I as Chuck Yates. And Chuck Yates' person then moves to a different position not uh, to ask a different set of questions, and on and on and on and on and on. And and, and by the way, we we go on. I mean, I, this, I'm not telling you anything that Joseph Campbell didn't bring up in uh, Hero with a Thousand Faces, uh, the hero's journey itself. It's just... We we have a we, we start, we are initiated into a life. We are separated from things that are comfortable. We have this darkness that we can't quite see where we're going to go next, and then we pop out and we return and we, we, we take the things that we slough off uh, from our youth. We don't need those things anymore. Like my nickname, I was just getting teased about this on my way here. Um, the bishop wants to write a musical, based on the music of Jesus Christ Superstar or we're going to call it Frat Pat Jesus and we're going to <laughs> base it on my personality from 20, when I was 22 years old Frat Pat was my nickname right. so Frat Pat Jesus and, and so uh, you know that is not who I, I don't need the the trappings of frat pat
1: anymore. Right.
2: But what I have now are the trappings of, of who I who I've become. There were some funny things about that. I'll keep some frat pat, but I don't need to lead with frat pat. That's not who I am, anyhow. I just, but I I, I I can tell you by watching you go through the process and kind of being your um, sherpa through the climb that um, that you did do those things. I know that you. I know that the roast and the chuck and the hoodie and all of those things that you kind of, kind of are are um, are known for. Okay, those are external things, but the inside of you, you got pretty clean, and we're getting clean, and I hope that you continue to do that.
1: No, no, and I and I really appreciate that. And you get
2: you get. Hundred percent of the credit for that. I, mean, I didn't you do really any did. that. You did that. See, that's the thing. I'm in the Sherpa. Here's a bottle of water. Well, the Sherpa the got
1: the Sherpa got up on Mount Everest mm-hmm. first, right? I mean, you
2: can come up here; it's yeah, okay. You can if, you come know. up. Somebody told me one time it's a buddy that I ski with and actually do some do some this kind of work with. He said, Patrick, I think I think the name of your I think of the name of the future of your company that you're going to do should be called Double Black Diamond Consulting. I was like, "Why do you say that?" He's like, "Because hanging out with you is like going up on a double black diamond. Not a lot of people want to go up there. Not a right. lot of people will. But those that do get to see a better view, and it's a kind of a fun ski, and it's hard. And I think that's where you went, Chuck. You went to the hard work. And I, and you know, I know this is a podcast for oil guys, but I think that uh, in the middle of the end of." Uh, We're at the end of oil as we know it in Houston, Texas. There's going to be a lot more Chucks out there who are kind of wandering around. These are the things that used to make me who I am. I don't have these things anymore. Who am I? Well, who you are is you, and who you will be is you, and you get some opportunity now to kind of understand yourself in a different context, not based on the things that you have but the things that you are, which is inside of you. And that's the stuff. I mean, that's where the gold is. And, and, you
1: know, Fish and I talked last week about both losing our jobs. Yeah. And the one thing I just felt horrible about, and, and I hope hopefully people don't take it this way, but I kind of rolled through getting shit canned. And it was because of all the work you and I had done. I mean, huh. my sense of self-worth was not being the managing partner of Kane Anderson, you know. And so it really was a blessing. I was in a really good spot. I mean, if you would have told me five years ago, you're going to, lose your job there's going to be a pandemic where you have to be alone quarantining by yourself i would have asked okay you know how long do i make it you know 22 days i mean and all that and i actually actually kind of rolled through it all
2: and right well i think that the the all of the current I think there's a lot of things going on. There's a, um, a thinker that I like um, reading a book by it's about um, games people play and he talks about how we all have transactional life. being a human being is about right. being a, in, in society social situations and transactional he talks about how you know that your spinal cord actually shrivels in isolation like the hardest of criminals, uh, we do not like solitary confinement. And and so I'm concerned about a whole bunch of people who have spent, you know, we're in half, almost six months. Yeah, I think we're a little past six months of being this way and this isolation and not being together. And if you if you were not put together going into this, you will probably have a problem coming out of it. And so there's going to be a lot of work to be done next year um, with our friends and our families who will be having uh, a lot of difficulty Coming out of being isolated, Um, and and I think that again, that is an opportunity for for the work that I do and for the church. the The Episcopal Church is a you know we being community. So how will we be? there for everybody as we come out and back into if we are whatever it looks like what does community look like i guess right so that's the that's coming up but anyway
1: yeah you were prepared no i was in good shape and um but you know what i've've kind of wanted to ask you about is you know so you've gone through 2020 just like everyone else does and it's you know it's got to be hard on the church right because you can't fill the, fill the church and, and in effect, you know, kind of fulfill your mission. I mean, you got to, everybody had to find new ways to do it and all, but one of your best friends just died. Right. And, uh, are you able to going through something like that actually play your, you know, play Patrick to yourself? Did somebody fill that role for you? Mm. What what's it like? Because yeah, you just went oh, through who, something.
2: Who, who heals the healer? Who
1: heals the healer? Yeah, exactly. yeah.
2: Okay. So well. So yeah, I just did, and um, thank you, uh, Chris Elliott of um, out in, in Austin, Texas, as a longtime friend had died of finally of prostate cancer. Um, it's it's interesting because I'm going through. Grief has five tasks. There's a guy, Howard Kleinbelt, who writes about this. And in the five tasks in in somebody's grief is task number one is you go through the task of disbelieving it's true. Right. Um, task two has a bunch of a bunch of words that you'll recognize. Nobody likes the second stage. Task two, it's depression, anxiety, disorientation. Um, three has a has a, a, a trying to decide. Uh, what to do, how to reinvest. I like this phrase, particularly for a businessman's um, podcast, how to reinvest your life energy without that, which is lost. That's a direct quote. Um, Four is you begin to put things back together, and five is you reach out to people. And so I am catching myself um, going through. So what we did on um, Saturday is we drove, can't have a funeral. Right. Right? you can't have funerals uh, you can I've uh, done several uh, but they're usually their graveside and like uh, five or six people gone are those um, gigantic um, majesty state funerals that the Episcopal Church has, is known for and in their place are like ten people at a graveside and and so for Chris we and he has he had two kids uh, has two kids um, a uh, 14-year-old daughter and a, and a 10-year-old son and you know you need to create some sort of I mean, humans are, have rituals so you had to create some sort of ritual so they were episcopalian um, they their little church up the hill uh, had a place for his ashes but his ashes weren't ready so we had to do something so what we did is we gathered where he would had sat so he uh, had an area in his yard he liked to sit in so we all gathered there And we did a little uh, ritual prayer thing that we do in 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 the Episcopal Church, and then um, I took a, a cup of acorns and flung them into the backyard to to represent new life, planting new life. So there's so you ritualize. So what I basically did was ritualized something for his family, but as I flung the acorns, I became emotional because it became very real that this man who I loved had died and seeing his wife and seeing his children we we talked earlier about your what you went through and I would I will tell you probably what I remember is nothing that I said to you but um, I will remember um, purposefully standing there with you and I think that when people go through, and and maybe the folks who hear this podcast, this is something for them too, it's not so much what you say at the loss, it's that you are present at the loss, however, whatever presence looks like. So um, now I'm standing in this yard where this man sat near his kids, and the ministry of presence um, is what I have to do. And so I... Told his children, I, I said, Your dad was very proud of you. That's all I could tell him. Right. And then I said, The only reason I became a priest was to marry and bury my friends. And for your dad, I've done both. It's because I did his wedding, right? I right. did their wedding. And they're not going to remember that. They're not going to remember what I said. They're not going to, but they are going to remember that I was there. Right. And I stood there. And then I went through, and I still am, even as of early as of this morning, um, the disp- I'm in two. I'm in, I'm in one and two stage right now. I'm in disbelief uh, and a little bit of anger and just some, just some melancholy. Because um, when you love people, uh, grief is the price you pay for loving, is what I was taught to say. And that's true. So when you—and people are too precious just to get over, so it's just not—I'm not, not going to get over anybody, but I am going to um, consciously make the steps to grieve my friend, and then hopefully stage five will be soon, and I can just reach out to others, um, which are kind of baked into my job, but— but anyway, yeah, I think that you're going to have. That's another piece of the pandemic, in particular the economy in Houston, is you're going to have a bunch of people going through grief, yeah, because they're going to have lost a lot, not just in monetary gain, but in um, in uh, in in what they you know jobs, you know, lifestyles,
1: right, you marriages. Know, it was interesting because I think the 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 thing that sent me into the bad place. Was James Broach who had in effect worked for me for 13 out of his 15 and a half professional years first at Stevens and then later at Kane had gotten brain cancer and he had he basically died in about three three and a half years and so we had three and a half years of knowing it's coming right, right? and then so it was I um, St. Luke's Methodist Church. It was the Thursday at eleven a.m. Uh, the slot for the funeral. I deliver the eulogy and um, and all, and then twenty eight days later, Thursday eleven a.m. St. Luke's Methodist Church. I am delivering a eulogy for my then thirty two year old cousin, hmm. and what was so you have these two deaths. James we knew was coming. Right. It was three years, three and a half years. Just a question of when, not if. And then with Michael, Michael came home from a bar one night with his buddies, sat down on the couch and just never woke back up. Hmm. And um hmm. you know it was so so delivered both of those, put me in a funk, put Kim in a funk. We just didn't have the communication skills to be able to yeah. navigate that.
2: How how old were you? So so when I, that happened,
1: you, you know, it's interesting. Today's actually James's birthday. Huh. Um, and so I'm I'm 52 right now. And so I want to say I want to say that you're right. I mean, that that stuff. I, I, I can't remember exactly when James was diagnosed, but it's 2009, 2010. Yeah, you were at 42.
2: Right. Yeah. So one of the things that I've benefited from <clears throat> in my life is um, sort of chopping up. A person's life into sevens So every seven years There's a thing Right So if you can think about How you were How you were When you were zero As the You know The, the water creature That comes out And is now a land creature And you go from zero to seven And the, the amount of change That occurs In that span Right. then think about 7 to 14 14 to 21 21 to 28 et cetera and those seven you know, seven year itch doesn't just arrive as a as a statement it, it right. about every seven years you're going through some sort of transition and so 42 Yeah. that's the beginning of it and and so if I was talking to somebody I was talking yeah, I was talking last Friday about another guy talking about midlife crises and y'all were teasing me earlier about my cello and my midlife crisis <laughs> And um, and so anyhow the um, so I'm in the I'm in so I'm 52 53 so I'm between um, um, 49 and 56 so I'm in the middle of a transition and 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 so the usually you know I, I tell people to pay attention to be careful particularly if they're 42 and they have two big losses. Right, and if, and what I think my work is is to begin is to help people um, get ready, Man. right? Prepare them to, to lose. I had a person who was helping me one time. She said, "You know, Patrick, you're going to lose, you know, the big loss. You're going to die. So the big loss, you're going to lose." The the beautiful thing is, um, you have the faculties, and you have the mind and the spirit that you get to choose how you lose. So you can choose to just go in your house and shut the door and lock it and never come out, or you can choose to live a life that's full and interesting and creative, and you choose to go out into the world. Uh, it's not always going to be a bed of roses. It's going to fall down. It's not. It's not easy. Uh, being a human being, no one, no one ever promised it would be. But you get to choose. So I guess the question is, you know, Chuck, what has Chuck going to choose? What does Chuck choose to do? And I guess it's funny that the podcast is Chuck Yates needs a job. So this is a big podcast to. Let's <laughs> all help you think about what it is you need to go choose to go do. Exactly,
1: exactly. The, um, you know, the in in terms of going through that and choosing how to do things and all. I do remember. I can't tell you the date. I don't know exactly how long after James's funeral it was. I mean, it was years. It was not months, um, weeks, or months. But I do remember the morning I woke up. And I started smiling hmm. and it was the first time I, I just, it was very vivid. It was the, I thought of James and I smiled. Yeah. And th- There wasn't any grief and it was, you know, I'm so blessed. I got to know him and I got to share as much of my life with him as I do. And it's great that I get to see his kids and, and, uh, and all that. And the only reason I tell you that is I know, you know this cause you're the professional but it'll happen to you too. Oh sure, that, you know that uh, yeah. will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Th- that moment will happen, and it's a good freaking
2: moment.
0: No, right, you know? right,
2: yeah. Then I think that's that's part of the tasks of gr- of grief work, is where you can, um, in, and the word is gradually. In the in, in the in the in the textbook, it says you gradually accept it, and so you know you begin to gradually accept that. That worry, and yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I mean, I've, I've gone through enough grieves. That's the right way to say that. I've gone through enough grieving processes and losses in my short time on the planet that, yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm aware of it, right? But it, you know, I'm I'm I, trying to be conscious. I think that's the goal. Yeah. So if I can stay conscious about the fact, oh, why am I in a bad mood? Oh, yeah, I'm probably still mad about Chris. Ah, okay yeah why am i bad oh yeah i'm probably still okay so i shouldn't yell at my children
1: yeah yeah
2: I, Yeah, I, i i shouldn't yell at the dog i i i get it okay i'm 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 aware of what i should and shouldn't be doing
1: well that was a tool and i don't know that this was your word or potentially one of the therapists you sent me to's word but same thing was just be curious
2: Staying curious I so, yeah, no, I think that I, yeah. yeah I, I will – say that okay yeah yeah. So, yeah that, being I may curious have what's that about word. the best therapeutic word or the phrase and you, what, what's that about? Yeah, you know why am I why am I uh, why am I sitting around? Why am I drunk with strange women? What's this about Other than well it's kind of cool I'm a strange woman, but yeah. you know but why are you in that when you shouldn't be? right? you know why am I so mad? Right. And you can't, and they'll tell you some work that I've done um, on myself is called a complex. And the complex, you don't have a complex, the complex has you. So you just, in that moment where you feel yourself in like an utter rage about to erupt, if you have at all the ability to go hide, go hide. Right. Let it pass, let that energy kind of dissipate, and then engage.
1: Yeah. No, it really is when you can be curious. And you know the answer. It's kind of hard to go be mad,
2: you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you well, know what I mean you no, know, it's not, if it's not displaced. Like, why am I why am I screaming? I mean, we're yeah. you know, you do not want to talk politics, but we we are in a gigantic pandemic of displacement. Right. Everybody's mad at everybody, and nobody can figure out why. And um, pardon me, everybody's anxious, and we're all just kind of blaming each other for that. Right. Yeah, it's your fault. And uh, I didn't do anything. I was just driving over here, you know, and that's, that's a part of, I I feel a big, uh, 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 one of the bigger issues facing us. We're not really saying anything about that.
0: Yeah. The five questions.
2: All
1: right, Patrick, we always, we always close each podcast with five questions. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Thank you very much. Okay. And the name of the pod is Chuck Yates needs a job. Mm -hmm. So, to I thought th- the, I
2: thought this was the job. I thought you had found a job.
1: I am doing unemployment. This is, incredibly poorly. This is, I am this is, working very hard and making no money. This is
2: not the job. This would be a burn rate. This is okay. This is this is the want ad.
1: So uh, the children called the other day. We were talking. And they go, Dad, how's it going out there? And I said, Don't worry, I'm slowly depleting your college I'm slowly. Funds. Exactly. As, we, as, as a matter speak. of fact. <laughs> so to that endeavor, Chuck Gates needs a job. Yes. Question number one. Yes. What do you find are my greatest strengths?
2: Oh, oh so I'm the you. <laughs> oh, this is it. so. Hold on. I have to channel Chuck to answer this. Okay. Are you going to ask me? But can I, can I ask? I'll answer this. But uh, is it going to be like, uh, are you going to ask me uh, name a time that was really difficult and how you got through it? Well, that are BS?
1: you the kind of person that would go steal the test the night before? I don't Yes, I okay.
2: am. very yeah, exactly. um, bad. But, uh, but... Okay, but, hold on. Okay, okay. Question, what you, question you, one. Yeah, hold on. okay. Hold on. Hello, Mr. Okay. Yates. You have to say, Mr. Yates, good afternoon. I have a couple of questions for you. Okay, go ahead. Mr. Yates, I have a couple of questions for you. Number one, what would you say are your greatest strengths? I, um boy, uh, there's so many. I have so many. And... To pick just a few right off the bat, I would say my one of my greatest strengths, and we actually we like to call it a superpower, um, one of my superpowers is the ability to find myself backstage at the Red Hot Chili Peppers concerts. Uh. <laughs> it's a strength. It's a skill. It's a gift. And uh, from there, I'm able to find my way to Telluride Art Festivals. Oh. And I'm able to, uh, you know, find my way onto other people's planes. I think these are strengths. <laughs> Just go ahead and have me drinking a LaCroix the whole yeah, time. I drank, I drink, are, and drinking, yeah, drinking We call it LaCroix. LaCroix. are some strengths. But then I think one of your, I would say then in all seriousness, one of your greatest strengths is the ability to bring people together. Oh, well, I, I appreciate that, that yeah, much. I, I think that you.
1: And you, I like that you. we do that together. Yeah, we do, yes. but you
2: make strangers friends.
1: Well, I appreciate that much.
2: And you have strange friends. <laughs>
1: Very strange friends. <laughs> podcast two, you know. Yes, know. podcast. two. Yeah. Um, question two. Yes. What personality traits do you think I possess that will
2: make me a great priest? The personality traits that I possess that make me a great priest. Is the fact that I'm I'm independently wealthy, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have to do that. <laughs> There's no collection plate problem with me. Yeah, I just you know, that's uh, right. Yes, uh, and, and make me a great priest is I like to talk about the Bible. There we go. There go. But I, in all seriousness, what would make you do have good qualities? I would think that um, that you have that you do listen, and you do give a care. Well, you, you know, I think those are the you you would you have some priestly qualities, yes. Well, you know, it was interesting.
1: I went and saw John Cleese and Eric Idle of Monty Python <laughs> backstage
2: and, at the Red Hot Chili Peppers concert. Were they we're, on your plane?
1: Exactly. And uh, <laughs> no, so they were on stage and they were just telling stories. They were showing clips, and I can't remember if they're Cambridge guys or Oxford guys. I Oxford. think they're they're Oxford guys. So they met freshman year. Somebody put them together and said, hey, y'all are both really funny. Y'all ought to meet. And they wrote a skit for the Oxford Freshman Comedy Hour or whatever the thing was. And they did the skit that night. So they said, we wrote this 54 years ago. And the skit was Eric Idle as a newscaster. And he says, we're going to our reporter, John Cleese. This is Eric Idle of BBC News. We're going to our reporter, John Cleese. Who's out at the burning bush with Moses? What can you tell us? Well, Eric, I've been chatting with Moses. Moses says God's a stern fellow. He's a hard fella. He has been <laughs> negotiating, and he's got good news and bad news. The good news is he's gotten it down from fifteen to ten commandments. The bad news: adultery's still one of them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's their first bit.
1: That's their first bit they wrote together, yeah, you know, fifty-four years ago. Isn't that great? I don't Question three, has anyone ever been prosecuted for stealing the leftover communion wine?
2: Uh, Oh, is that now we're done with your interview and we're asking me a question? I think that's very important before I I accept this job. Oh, oh, the the job of priest? Yeah, exactly. Have you ever been, have I ever been prosecuted? Has 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 anyone? Has anyone ever been prosecuted? No, but man, is that a thing. It is a that's thing. That's a thing. I mean really? I, Oh, that's such a thing. Oh my gosh, it's such a thing. So but they're you,
1: like empty bottles
2: out behind your house. Yeah, not behind my house, but it's a thing. So the <laughs> you put them um, behind the neighbor's house. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. it's just I, I honestly think that uh, a part of weirdness in religion is the wine business, and um, I mean I know this isn't part of the bit, but the but but just to kind of elaborate, the, people t- take that stuff. And it's, really? th- yeah, it is, yeah, they take it and it's Taylor Tawny Port. It's, it's a, it's a, uh, it, we buy it from the liquor store in cases and it's a uh, one, uh, 1.75 liters of Taylor Tawny Port. Nice. And if you are a person who's that desperate for whatever it is you need to do tonight, uh, to take Taylor Tawny Port from a church, I just take <laughs> it. It's sort of like John, it's sort of like in, in a Les Miserables. Yeah. You, 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 know, you here's some candlesticks and if you really, well, if you really do need it, you'll take the Taylor Thomas board. <laughs> That's awesome. But yes. Okay. I do not know if it was a job, of the job interview or not, but
1: number question four, what are the fringe benefits of my employment with your organization? Uh, it,
0: it,
2: now we switch. am I now who am I now? I don't know who I am in the bet. Am I you? Are we talking these, metaphysically? Or or what are, are we talking about? Am I you? About? Are you am I, I, I being that. you to interview or what are the fringe benefits for you if you were to take the job as a trying, clergyman?
1: I'm just trying to play straight, man. Okay, I'm just if, setting
2: if, you up. Take that order. I have to have my character. Okay. Uh, I just have to know who I am. Okay, so so you were asking if you were if, so now you are asking me, I am the potential employer. You were oh, Chuck I guess I did, I did turn that around. You did. I didn't, so, I didn't so, realize that I'd so, turned it around. So the fringe benefits of you working with for me. Sure. Okay. Uh, what are the fringe benefits? Okay. Um, uh, uh, let's see. There are none. <laughs> there are. Perfect. Uh, there are none. You can't date models. Oh. You can't date the congregation. We're, we're
1: already talking Chuck Yates' life. Yeah, but anyway, go that, ahead. Uh, no planes. I'm, I'm
2: not giving up a lot of stuff no at this point. There's a vow of poverty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but I would would see but yeah so I I don't yeah there are none for you I got you and then the the final question
1: I would have for you I guess I've flipped the roles now but
2: we can flip back we can go to 10 questions but yeah
1: if I denied if I was to deny accepting employment with your organization could I use you as a reference (laughs) (laughs) I
0: hope you don't oh my god yes
2: Uh, who are your references well my Taco Bell manager uh, said that I was really good at the Taco Bell. Uh, that's one. And then I have a priest friend. Well, thank you very <laughs> much for coming in. Thanks you so much. We hope you come. Hope never come back here, please. Yes.
1: <laughs> Patrick Miller, you were incredibly cool to do this. Oh, you're kind. Please give the very short commercial for the church. St. Mark's, where oh, are y'all? The oh, services. Oh, my gosh. Thank goodness. Yes. The
2: best Kept Secret in Houston, Texas. Uh, so, St. Mark's Episcopal Church, 3816 Bel Air Boulevard. Uh, we have services in person at 745, 10, and 5 o'clock in the evening. 745 is very quiet. 10 o'clock, we have music, uh, but due to the pandemic, we're not singing. And s- 5 o'clock, we have a uh, really uh, an incredible group of guys, jazz trio, that we've put together for that.
1: And I will put in my two cents worth for the five o'clock service. Mm. It's, it's one of the greatest services. The jazz band's amazing. Periodically, they'll play Let It Be. You get up and talk most of the time, no notes. It almost feels like we're sitting by the fire having a cup of coffee um, and all that. And it really is an amazing experience.
2: I think San Marks is a fantastic Episcopal church, and I hope that anybody out there listening who needs a church home will come join us. Sounds great. Thanks, Thanks for doing this. Yeah, you bet. That was awesome. What's the what's the go out bumper? The uh it's um,
1: so I think what I'm gonna end every podcast with, because I'll I'll come back and I'll I'll listen to this a bunch and I'll record a little bit of an intro and then a little bit of an ending. But I think potentially that I'm uh, gonna end every podcast with we'll be back next week, where our topic will be great achievements and energy finance by really short people. <laughs> <laughs> That's,